But John chapter 14, we're moving to the gospel of John, as Kenny just said, and um, today we come to a passage that is pretty famous, also uh, fairly frustrating for some people, this passage. A lot of people stumble on it. Um, some people, when they read this passage, they just swell with pride because they're like, oh yeah, this really affirms everything I believe and, and how right I am and how wrong everybody else is. And other people... As they read this passage, they just get uh, their heart starts to go cold. They start to gloss over um, because they feel like exclusive claims, like we read in this passage, can be divide people. But when Jesus says what he says in this passage, and we really hear it, I think, in the context and the heart with which Jesus says what he's going to say today, I believe it will humble the proudest heart and melt the coldest heart. So regardless of who you are, whether you've been in the faith for years, or whether you're not even sure whether you're a Christian or not, what Jesus says here is the most basic message of the Bible. Philip tells him, he says, Lord, if you would just show us the Father, that would be amazing. That would be the thing we need to build our faith. And Jesus says to him, Philip, right now, through me, you can have a relationship. You can know the Father. Let's read this, John 14. Verse 5 down to verse 15. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father's in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who gave this thing. Believe me when I say to you that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. Will do even greater works in me because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. This is the Word of God. Experts say that the more urban society gets, the more technology tends to increase, um, the more we begin to yearn for personal touch. Especially in the world that we live in, the more alienated we feel from each other, the more we learn for what's personal. I remember a few weeks ago hanging out uh, with some friends, and I have friends of all ages, but these group of friends tend to be about 10 years younger than me. And uh, about five, six of us hanging out in an apartment, and I noticed at one point um, they were all sitting on their phones. Not sitting on their phones, but like <laughs> sitting holding their phone, looking at their phones. And I was sitting there with my phone in my pocket, and I was just kind of like wondering what they were doing. I realized they were all communicating with each other, but nobody was talking to each other. They were commenting on their Instagram posts, and every once in a while somebody looked at them and be like, dude, when did you get that picture of Saul? Really cool. And I'm just like, I'm in the twilight zone. Where am I? So I pulled my phone out, and I joined them because... I felt like the only weirdo in there who actually wanted to talk to a human. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon. And it's not just technology. It's the mobility of our society, too. Back in the day, people lived near each other their entire lives. You knew your neighbors. You grew up with your neighbors. Not anymore. Especially like where I live, downtown, I know one person in our entire apartment complex that's been there any, anywhere near as long as we have. Everybody's moved all the time. We're moving. The U.S. Census Bureau says we move an average of 11 times in our lifetime. Everybody in the U.S. And uh, back in the day, people worked for companies for 20, 30 years. My grandpa retired from U.S. Savings and Loan after 45 years of working there. People don't do that anymore, do they? And because we move around so much from our work, where we live, there's a tendency for us to use them. There's a tendency for us to use the places we work to get ahead, to get what we need, 
So why should there be tendency for the company to do that, right? Anybody? Yeah. Please. <laughs> you're just a person who'll do the job for now. When you're tired of doing the job, we can find somebody else, no problem. After a while, you begin to feel like an object instead of a subject. You begin to feel like a human being instead of a human being, right? You start to yearn for a personal. The Bible tells us, especially right here, that the solution for this problem is the gospel. The good news of the gospel, basically the essence of Christianity is personally knowing God. Personal knowledge. That's the essence. That's the first thing. It's the priority. Everything else comes second to that. Everything else in Christianity flows from that. But personally knowing God is what it's all about. In America, I think, like, when I talk to people, you just notice, you watch Facebook posts, people are obsessed with their needs, their problems, their questions. We're obsessed with knowing ourselves, right? How many of you have taken the online quizzes on Facebook <laughs> to know which cartoon character you are from Finding Nemo? Yeah, we were, I, I need to know this about me. This is integral <laughs> to my identity. But the real problem isn't knowing ourselves. The real problem is we don't really know God's person. Personally knowing God is everything that the Christianity is about, and that's what Jesus is showing us in the text. I'm wearing Chucks today. I always wear Chucks, and I love Chucks. The only thing I hate about Chucks is that I have to tie them. You guys love tying shoes? Anybody have like a shoe tying pattern? It's a nightmare, right? And then you get a knot in your shoe. And you try to get it out, and you're tugging and pulling and trying to do everything to get this knot out. And finally, you find that one string. And it's like one, one thread in there, and you pull it, and everything comes undone. You know what I'm saying? You're tugging and pulling, trying to get it out, and there's this one thread. And everything, it's like all the deadlocks of the knot were tied in, and, and, and that one thing just, just freed everything up, and everything falls open. Personally knowing God is, is the strand that will pull open the knot. The Bible says all your problems, everything you're worried about, everything you're thinking about on a daily basis stems from this. Except with all these other things, but this is the problem. This is the strand that will open up your life. And ironically, I'd like to show you also today for a moment that the supremacy of personally knowing God and, and the centrality of that to the Christian faith is actually why many people even have problems with the Christian faith. It's too personal. Let me show you. So we're going to walk through. This passage teaches us three points. The centrality of knowing God, the problem of knowing God, and the glory of knowing God. And Jesus tells us all of it. And we need to hear it today because this is the strand that will free our lives. Sound good? Dive in. Centrality of knowing God. Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you for such a long time, and yet you don't even know me? And what Jesus is saying to Philip is he's saying, hey, Philip, it's possible that you've been around me, that you've heard my teaching, that you've participated in the miracles, that you've seen all of this stuff my entire ministry, and yet you're totally missing the point. Philip, Philip was on the inside, wasn't he? He's like 12, one of the guys in the inner circle. He knew Christ. He's devoted to Christ. He saw what Christ was doing, and he participated in it. And Christ says it's, it's possible to be that busy in the Christian life to be that full of head knowledge about who God is and doctrine and theology. It's possible to be that full of zeal and not even know him. That's a pretty remarkable statement. Jesus is differentiating between knowing about God and personally knowing him. You can know about God without knowing him personally. There's, there's a difference between information and knowledge and personal knowledge, right? You guys, you guys know um, Rihanna? No, no, nobody knows Rihanna, right? But that's something we say in our culture. And if you go and you're in the grocery store, you might feel like you know Rihanna because you see her picture so much, right? In the grocery store, as you're waiting in the checkout line, there's all the magazines, there's all the celebrities, and all the gossip going on, right? And you know everything about who's getting married. You can't help it. Like, you can try to blindfold yourself, but you're going to know who's getting, who just got married, who just got cheated on. Who had a baby, right? You know everything about these celebrities, but it's possible to know so much about them and actually not know them, right? And if you do know them, maybe you should talk to them. <laughs> so it out there. There's a difference between informational knowledge and personal knowledge. When you sit down with somebody to get to know them 
and to build a relationship with them, you got to start somewhere. You start with informational knowledge. Where'd you grow up? What's your name? What's your favorite hobby? You know, those kinds of things. Where do you live? Lots and lots of information. But eventually, if you really want to know them, you got to get personal. You got to start talking about stuff that actually matters. What hurts you? What scares you? What your hopes and dreams are? Your favorite color? You know, important stuff like that. If you, if you both do that, if you have two people that respond with a level of interest and commitment and understanding, you start to say, hey, we're friends. We're friends. We move from informational knowledge to personal knowledge. Can you have informational knowledge without personal knowledge? Sure. Yeah, you guys go out to eat after, after church today. You're hanging out with some people, and you, you overhear a conversation at another table. You, you could hear all about somebody, right, sitting next to them. Or you could go on somebody's Facebook page. You can read all about their life story, know where they live, know their favorite music, their favorite book, their favorite music. Yeah, right? But, but it's different than having a relationship with them. In fact, we have a word for that. It's called, it's called stalking. <laughs> Don't do that. That's, that's not a relationship with somebody. In the same way, there's a lot of people who claim to know God, but they don't have a personal relationship with them at all. You may read the Bible, you may recite prayers, you may show up on a Sunday, you might go to seminary, you might pastor a church, and not even know God personally. They're not his friends, they're just Facebook stalkers. And God has a lot of Facebook stalkers. <laughs> Point number two. <laughs> he does. It's the cosmic equivalent of standing in the Grocery aisle, reading gospel And Jesus says it's not only possible, but it's normal that people around him who are busy with Christian activities and very knowledgeable of him don't even know him. That's why he says in Matthew, you guys remember this passage? He says, Many, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did you do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of love. They never knew you. They know all about him. They know his name. They know his doctrines. They know his mission and ministry and they're prophesying and doing many things for him, but they don't know him. And maybe more importantly, he doesn't know you. Well, you've heard that. It's not what you know, it's who you know, or more importantly, he knows you, right? Especially if you're trying to get in the club downtown. You can say you know the guy at the door. If he doesn't know you, he ain't getting in. Nobody? <laughs> Nobody went clubbing last night. That's why you guys are here. It's good. God's not inviting his Facebook stalkers into his home. He's inviting his friends. I love this quote. A little personal knowledge of God is worth more than a lot of knowledge about him. All right? So what's the bottom line? Uh, John 17, just a few chapters later, Jesus is praying. And he says, now this is eternal life. You ready? What is it? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what Jesus is saying is that it's not just that the point of life is knowing God, it's that the definition of life is knowing God. It's what you were built for, it's what you were designed for. Adam and Eve are created, right? And God places them in the garden and eat two trees, your way, my way, you get a choice. And, and God tells them, don't eat of this tree. The day you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. And of course, they didn't listen. They never do. And, and they ate of the tree. And what happened? They immediately grabbed their throat, fell down, and started choking and died on the ground, right? No. So what's up? Is God a liar? I thought he said they were going to die. Well, the question is, how do you define a life? Because the Bible defines life as a personal relationship with God. And in that moment when they ate the fruit, they broke the trust. A giant chasm grew between them and God, and they were separated from him. And an image of that is that they're kicked out of the garden, but that's just almost a physical metaphor of what was going on cosmically in their souls. That's why this is such good news when Jesus comes and says, I'm the way back into relationship. I am the life. 
that you've been longing for. I'm a tree. In fact, I'm embodying it in my very life, how to walk in step. Look no further, I'm here. There's a place in Jeremiah 9 where God says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his wisdom. But let him who boasts boast in us, that he understands and knows me. So Jeremiah is saying, you could be Will Hunting from the Will Hunting and be the smartest person in all of the companies and, and all of the corporate entities and all the countries want you. You could be the greatest football player ever, a national superstar. You could inherit $10 billion and be super wealthy. And what God is saying to Jeremiah is, first of all, those things would be great. They're not bad, but they're worthless compared to the knowledge of God, to knowing me personally. That's the claim of the Bible. J.I. Packer says it this way. What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something that captures our imagination and lays hold of our agency. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Ask the average person who's coming out of church today in San Diego, why did Jesus come? Some will say he came to model a good life. Some will say... He came to die for our sins. That's true. Those things are both true, but if we're not careful, we can miss the point, the main point. When Jesus says, um, what a Christian is, like we, we can think of a Christian. A Christian is somebody goes to worship, acknowledges God in all his life, tries to live a better life, goes to God when he's in trouble, memorizes the Bible. But Jesus says, you've missed the point, Phil. You've missed it. I came, I died, I was raised, I Pass through the heavens, and I'm seated at the right hand of the Father so that you might know him. Personally, intimately, daily, there's nothing greater in this life than being able to know God. That's why we say knowing God is the most central thing in the Bible that tells us about the Christian faith. See, Christianity is ultimately about a person. And that's our next point, the problem with knowing the Father. I'd imagine a lot of people here from time to time have wrestled or even wrestling right now with problems that come from the fact that Christianity is too personal. You might say, oh, Christianity is confusing, Christianity is demanding, Christianity is too exclusive, but really, underneath that all, your biggest problem is that Christianity is too personal. I'll give you two scenarios. First, because of this teaching, that the essence of Christianity is personal knowing. That This teaching sets up a priority of things. Okay? Um, that we just don't like. In a sense, the New Testament won't even engage with you about all your questions about life and, and all those things until you answer this question, what do you make of Jesus? That's the first question. That's the most important thing. The New Testament won't engage with you about the kind of life you should be living or, or how to get your personal needs met or all your intellectual, philosophical questions until you've answered that question. Right? It continually says, first things first, what do you make of Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? And that bugs us a lot because we have questions, right? We've got, we've got a lot of questions. We've got psychological questions. We have philosophical questions. How could a good God allow pain and suffering in the world? What happens to all the people that don't believe in Jesus? Why did God let this happen to me? Why did God let this happen to my friend? What's Jesus going to do to change me? This depression I can't seem to kick or these negative emotions or these habits. Like, how, how can I get over this? Jesus, what are you going to do? And the answer in the New Testament is so unbelievably focused and single-minded. It says, hmm, none of that will make sense to you. You're not ready for it, will you, sir? Not until you answer this question. What do you make of Jesus? Do you accept what he said about himself? That he's the son of the living God, the king of heaven. And if you do accept that, that's great. But has it passed from being just informational knowledge to personal knowledge? Have you opened up your life to him? Have you exposed your fears and your hopes and your dreams to him? Have you given him reign in your life? Boy, that bugs us. We say, but I have my intellectual questions. And the Bible says, hey, if Christianity was primarily just a philosophy, you could go to questions like that first. 
but it's primarily a relationship. So you have to have a person. Christianity is too personal. Right? We've got examples of that. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. All right? Remember that story? And he comes to him and, he's, and Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, but I just have some theological questions. Can we start over? You know? People say, what about my needs? I have these deep personal needs. What's Jesus going to do about that? Well, if Christianity was a therapy first, you could start there. That's a relationship. So you have to put first things first, and then everything else falls into place. The Bible says, look, there's lots to tell you about life, about therapy, about society, philosophy, psychology. There's lots to tell you about all these things, but Christianity is first and foremost relating to a person. And if you're not willing to start there, nothing else is really going to make sense to you. At least not yet. I just uh, spent my anniversary with my wife down in Mexico, celebrated 15 years, hanging out long Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. While we're hanging out there, we're, we're talking about just, you know, you reminisce, especially the 15-year mark, like, oh, my God, so fast. Like, I started thinking back over the memories and, and looking back at the who, to who I was back then, and I realized, man, I have changed a lot. I am so different. In some ways, I'm very, very much the same person, but, but I, in some ways, I'm better, I'm more gentle, I'm more patient, I'm more loving. We didn't, we were talking about how those changes didn't come easily, how we had challenges that have led to these changes. We've gone through stuff. You know? You've been married 15 years, you've gone through stuff in life. We've had to be uh, stretched and challenged. And as I look back and we talked, we wondered, I was wondering, like, what would be different? What if back then I knew everything I knew now? If I knew all the challenges I would have to face. If I knew all the ways that, that Nancy would lovingly help me change, what would she decide if she knew all the ways I was going to challenge her and frustrate her in the arguments and, and all the things that we've had? So she's changed me. Some of the things were great. Some of the things were, I'm, I'm, I'm glad she's changed me. Like, for instance, when we were dating, she hates when I say stories on this, but um, <laughs> when we were dating, I had this laugh. And um, <laughs> yeah, this laugh. And uh, it was literally like a donkey, right? I, I'm just going to spare the recording, but it was like a... <laughs> <laughs> my laugh, my whole life, met Nancy. She's like, babe, you're so cool. You're so hot. I love you. You're awesome. Is there any way we could work on that laugh? <laughs> and I'm so glad I did because now people aren't afraid to tell me jokes anymore. Right? <laughs> And there's, you know, there's other stuff, too. It's like the fact that my love language is like physical touch and words of affirmation. And Nancy, she, she kind of embodies that song by Extreme. You guys know that song, More Than Words? <laughs> Saying I love you is not the words I want to hear from you, right? Could you help me with the dishes, please? Right? That's, that's the way she feels love. So I, I realized, man, okay, my hugs and my words, they mean something. But at the end of the day, what really is going to tell her I love her is like that first time she had a flat tire and we were dating. And I didn't know how to do anything with a car except I had worked at Costco Tire Company in college. And so I knew how to change a tire. And I was like, this is my chance to teach. I was like, take my shirt off, got under the car, changing the tire, laying there. And I'll never forget, I looked up and she was going, total creeper, just stalking me. I'm so glad, though. I'm so glad that, that I didn't let the intellectual knowledge of all the things of her tongue and get in the way of my relationship with her. But when I fell in love with her, all that went out the window. Something happened because I personally knew her. I was, I was willing to change. I was willing to address certain things in my life that I normally may not have been willing to on my own life. I had a new heart. I saw life differently. She opened me up. She brought something new out of me. So today, I stand here a much better man. She's going to be better. And I'm so glad I didn't start with my intellectual knowledge of all the things that would have come. And these are the ways you're going to have to die to yourself. And these are the like ideals in your life and priorities that are going to have to shift. Thank God. I started with a relationship. Some people never fall in love because they don't want to be changed. They never fall in love because they've got these mental and emotional blocks in their life that keep them locked in. But they're in a prison. 
protecting themselves so much better than us. They believe the lie that they're somehow better off without love. Maybe because they're not heard at one point or whatever, but here's the deal. It's the same with Jesus. He's too personal. There are some of you who say, okay, now I'm at a bottle. You're like, that's kind of a cool example, Vince. It's all right. And there's lots of things about Jesus that are attractive to me, but I've thought about it and I've analyzed it, and I can't wrap my head around the virgin birth or the resurrection or Jesus being the only way or the authority of Scripture or fill in the blank. Whatever it is, I just can't believe that. I've thought about it. i studied it. i reflected on it, so I'm stuck. You thought about it, you studied on it, you reflected on it, you're stuck because you started first with a philosophy instead of Christ. John the Baptist had a personal relationship with Jesus. Remember that? And then he's in prison and he has doubts. And he sends a messenger personally to Jesus to say, Hey, are you the one? Should we look for another? He went personally. Now you say, How the heck can I go personally to Jesus? Just a quick application, side tangent. Go to the scriptures and meet him there. Like Kenny says, doubt your doubts enough to give it a try. J.R. Packer says it this way. How can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? The rule for doing this is simple but demanding. It is that we turn each truth we learn about God into a matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. That's why in New City we do CBR. Community Bible reading. Because I've been part of Bible reading programs in the past where you go to the scripture and you just try to accumulate knowledge and your head gets all big and your heart gets really small. But when you read the Bible relationally and you walk through, and you don't just write down a prayer of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, but you're not just writing it, but you're actually adoring it. You're actually confessing your brokenness before him and thanking him for the truth of the gospel and, and submitting your request to him and saying, God, I need help with this. When it's a relationship, it's a totally different ballgame. Are you truly seeking that? And maybe today that's even more advanced. You're like, I'm not even ready to start with the Bible. Here's a simple question I, I suggest you bring to God. Like John the Baptist said, are you the one with the truth? Or should I look for another? Help me, God. I'm stuck. Enlighten me. Do something. I'm wrestling. I'm struggling. I don't know which way to go. If you're really a person, show yourself. And you will. Unless you're willing to deal with him personally, though, you'll never know if your doubts are true. If he's a person, you've got to go to him and talk about it. You see that? Yeah. John 7, the, the, the rulers in Sanhedrin send people out to go see Jesus. They're like, arrest him, these officers, and bring him back. And the guys go out there. And they engage with Jesus, and they come back empty-handed. And the rulers are like, where's Jesus? We sent you to go get him. And they said, look, never a man spoke as he spoke. That's what they said. You know what they're saying? They're saying, hey, look, when we were in the back office, and we were mulling through all the philosophy, and we were talking about all these things that we've heard that Jesus said, and all this stuff, it wasn't very real to us, you know? But then when we went out there and engaged him, all of a sudden, We've never seen anything like that before. We've never heard somebody speak like that before. It changed us. We couldn't arrest him. It's a personal encounter with Jesus. Are you tracking? So I'm saying to you, if you have your doubts because you dealt with him in an abstract way, you have to be honest and ask yourself, is my problem with Jesus really intellectual or is it personal? Am I afraid of losing control? Am I afraid of looking silly? Do I not like what I think could happen to me? I gave myself to him. And you better be honest because you can't have a genuine personal relationship with somebody without full disclosure and real honesty. You have to come to him first. Why? Because Christianity is personal. Secondly, second problem is the absolute and exclusive claims of Jesus, which people hate so much, come because Christianity is so personal. People hate the fact that Jesus makes these tremendous claims. He says, hey, if I'm going to be in your life, there's not going to be halfway anything. I'm going to be the way. I'm going to be the truth. I'm going to be the life. I'm going to be your number one. And people say, why should he be the only life? Why should he be the only truth? People hate the fact that Jesus makes these tremendous claims. But don't you see it's because he's a because Christianity is ultimately a personal thing. Like I was saying about my relationship earlier, anybody 
in this room who's begun to get into any kind of personal relationship. Um, that's the way of personal loan. You, you begin to lose an amount of control of your life. Have you noticed that? Right? You start to love somebody. That's inevitable. That's, that's the dynamic. Some people say, I don't want to get married because I don't want to lose control. I don't want to get married because I, 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 I don't want to lose my independence. I'm, a, I'm an independent person. I'm, you know, right? If you don't want to lose control of your life, then you're going to have to avoid a lot more than you like. Because even, even friendship, the moment you get into friendships, you're going to lose control of your life. Imagine you're in a friendship, and for some of you this won't be hard because this may have happened to you, but imagine you're in a friendship, you think this person's a great friend, and one day they call you up and say, hey, guess what, I'm moving. Um, I've been thinking about it for the last six months, and uh, I decided I'm getting ready to leave. I just got a job in another city. Movies are com- movers are coming tomorrow, and I just want to call you and, and tell you goodbye. How would you feel? What? I thought we were friends. You'd probably be a little like hurt, wouldn't you? A little frustrated. Too real, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, they hit too close to home for some of us. You intrinsically know that, right? If we were friends, you should have told me. Should have let me know. If we were friends, should have let me in on it and let me give you some feedback. You know that a deeper, the deeper a personal relationship is, the less that person has the right to act dependent. Isn't that true? The deeper a personal relationship is, the less that person has the right to act independently. But the greater the relationship is, the greater the commitment, the greater the loss of control. That's why C.S. Lewis says this quote I like. He says this, if you don't want your heart to be broken, give it to nobody. Then it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and what he's saying is if you avoid personally knowing others to keep control of your life, then you're going to end up losing your life anyway. Because if you try controlling your life by not personally knowing anybody, you, you have no life. You lose your very self. Your heart may not get broken, he says, but your heart will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. And since we know that's true about personal relationships, that there's no way to have one without losing control of your life, does it surprise you that to have a relationship with God would be even more so? Would bring about the most incredible commitment, loss of control? That's why Jesus can say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he says in verse 6. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Let's go backwards and see what he means. He says, I must be the life. He means, I've got to be the reason you live. I'm not just a help for your career. I'm the reason. Not just a help for your life, and the reason for your life. I want to be the very reason you get up in the morning. I want to be that to you. And he says, I'm the truth. That means what I say, the teaching, Jesus says, is, is, has to take precedence over your opinions, over the opinions of others, over your feelings, over what you think is practical, over the opinions of experts, over the views of culture. I have to be the truth. You say, man, that's so absolute. Well, it's because it's personal. And he says, I'm the way. And that's the one that really gets us. Because we're like, hey, man, what about the good leaders? And what about, you know, all the good people who don't have any religion at all but they're doing good stuff in the world? How could Jesus say, I'm the way into the Father? we got to talk about that. Two brief points. Firstly, because that's the way it is with persons. Don't you see? You can't find your way into a person any old way you choose. You have to be let in from the inside, don't we? Like, you want to get to know a person. Let's say, you know, you come to church and you're single and you're like looking for that wife. <laughs> and you meet the girl and you're like, uh, hey, I want to get to know you. I've been out of the game a long time. Maybe that's not how you say it. <laughs> 15 years. <laughs> I mean, if you say it like that, she might be like, uh, no. <laughs> but what if she says, okay, yeah, but not here. Let's go to coffee. And you say, no, right here. We're going to do this right here. I'm going to get to know you right now. How would that go over? You can't do that. You can't get into a person unless they let you in from the inside. If that person says it has to be over coffee, then it has to be over coffee. Or you're not going to get in. And if you're unwilling to bend on that, it shows what? It shows your heart. That you're using the person. 
If you say, hey, right here, right now, then you're not treating that person personally. You're not respecting them. You see that? You're using that person, you'll never get him. This guy is a football player. And he's got all the ladies swooning over him. Right? And then he meets the, the girl who's going to be the love of his life. He starts talking to her and he says, that's fine, um, but I, I'm not really that into sports. I don't know the difference between a first down and a hole in one. Um, but, you know, I love literature. Literature really gets me going, gets me really excited. And he goes, all right. Well, here's a book on football rules. <laughs> Memorize that, then maybe you'll appreciate it. Right? Would that work? No way. Of course not. If you want to get into somebody's heart, you got to go where they're at. If she loves literature, you better start memorizing poems, right? Learn to write one. Roses are red. <laughs> With persons, you can't say, I'm going to get into your life any way that I please by my Because hearts are open to the inside. And Christianity is the same way. It's a religion of revelation. That means God has to open it from the inside. It means with Christianity, you don't find God through your efforts, through your discovery. You don't find him that way at all. Christianity is done for you. It comes to you. Here's the way in. When a woman says to this guy, hey, this is the way in. If you want to get to know me, you want to have a good relationship with me, this is the way to get in. This is what's important to me. And the guy says, I'm sorry, but I want to come in another way. She says, no, it isn't like that. I'm a person. I'm not a mathematical theorem. I'm not a mystical force. I'm a person. In the same way, Jesus can say, I'm the way into the Father. Why? Because God is a person. That's the way it is. Does that seem exclusive? I mean, think about it. Like, in a sense, isn't that how everybody is? Every person you've ever met, even you, you're that way. If somebody came to you right now and was like, I'm going to get to know you any way I want, you'd be like, No, you're not. I'm a person. This is how you get to know me. Go on my Facebook page. <laughs> Secondly, when people hear Jesus is the way, it can sound can sound arrogant and condescending. Like we Christians have it all figured out and everybody else in the world is way off track. Alright? That's that's one of the big I think one of the big things is created the attitude. It's not even the philosophy, you know, it's the attitude. And Christians tend to be like, Jesus is the only way to God, not Hinduism, not Buddhism, not Shinto. Not Islam, right? Um, so if you want to go to heaven, this is the road to mistake. And the skeptic says, dude, how can you think your religion's right and everybody else's is wrong? Don't you realize how arrogant it sounds? You should grow up and accept that all roads lead to God. And when they're having this exchange, there's there's three things that they're saying. First of all, they're making an assumption that Jesus is talking about world religion, first of all. Secondly, they're using this image of a road, and they're making us the traveler along the but here's the deal. If the gospel's true, then the way we frame this conversation is often backwards. Jesus isn't the only way to go out into the universe and to find God. Because the gospel moves in the other direction. Jesus is the unique way God has come to us. Jesus doesn't come and say, I'll show you the way. Jesus comes and says, I'm a person. He doesn't come like a compass or a guide and say, hey, just take this path, you know, up and to the left. And, no. He is the way to the Father. There's this famous bridge analogy from countless tracks we used to hand out when I was a kid. We'd come to downtown on a Friday night because that's where you catch the sinners where they're at, you know, <laughs> pass out the tracks. And this, have you guys seen this picture before? It's like a gap, it's like a Grand Canyon between God and us and in the middle of sin, but you've got tracks. And that bridges us. And so, you know, if you want to get to God, you just got to follow the cross, walk across the cross. And I saw this picture the other day. I loved it. This picture, this other picture, points out the problem with this analogy. And the problem we run into with the cross being the bridge because it's, it's a cross. It's poor architectural design if you're trying, right? Because, like, you see, where's the ladder? How do I get across this thing? But I think it highlights a deeper problem, right? Because with this analogy, we're the ones trying to get to God. Wanting to jump over the chasm, risking death, trying to find a way to God, and God's just backed off from us. God's running away from us, and we're running towards him. Whee! Where's the ladder? The gospel moves in the other direction. God is the one pursuing us. We're the ones running away. 
The cross is a mechanism we use to get God. The cross is the way God has come to fight us. J.I. Packer says it this way. Knowing God is a matter of grace. It's a relationship in which the initiative throughout is the product of the mystery. Since God is so completely above us and we've com so completely forfeited all claim on his favor by our sin. We stand no chance on our own. That's When Jesus says he's the way, he's saying he's the way that God has designed it. He's not a roadmap. He's the destination. He's the way our world is reconciled to God. He's the truth of God's grace outstretched to resistant rebels. He is the light that restores our sin-struck world back into heaven. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know it. Jesus is so personal. You know it. He's revealed to you. His grace needs you. I want to apologize for asking such a personal question. Because it's all personal to you. Lastly, the glory. Glory to God. When Jesus tells his disciples that he's the way to the Father, Philip asks this question that we read earlier. Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus is great. You know, I, I love what you're saying. We're, we're buddies and all, but God's still over there on the other side of the canyon. So how do we get there? Can you show us how to get there? Where's the ladder? What's this little thing? And they'll be all good. And look at Jesus' response because it's at the center of the Christian faith. Jesus says, don't you know me? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? And that's interesting for two reasons in closing. First, briefly, it's an invitation. Secondly, it's an affirmation. The invitation. When you read that, maybe it's confusing. Maybe you're like, Jesus is in the Father, the Father's in him. It's God, Jesus is the Son. What's Jesus smoking? I don't, I'm, I'm, the math isn't adding up for me. I don't get it. Right? It sounds really mystical. It sounds really funky. But Jesus is always saying stuff like that. It's the language of union. He says, I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, and he's doing the work. He even says at one point, he says, I and the Father are one. And that sounds mystical, right? It sounds strange to us. We're like, what's going on in here? Like, I'm in him, he's in me. They say, we will come and make our home in you? What does that mean? It's the language of relationship, mutual indwelling. Jesus not only says the Father's in him, but now he also extends that image. He says, he and the Father will make their home with us. How? I will, can, can you get to this more next week? I will send my spirit to dwell in you. The idea of being in Christ shows up over 80 times in the New Testament. Jesus not only is one with God, but he invites us through him into community. You see that? It's an invitation. When we get hung up on all the exclusivity stuff, which is definitely there, it's part of it, but we can just see that, and that's all we see. We miss the invitation that Jesus is making. Secondly, it's an affirmation. Somebody says, well, how do I know if I really know him? You say it's important to know him and, and not just knowing about him. How do I know? Like Whitney Houston said, how will I know if he really loves me? And here's the answer to Whitney. Jesus says it's soon. Knowing is seeing. See, Philip and Jesus use different words when they say the word see. Translated see both times for us, they use different words. Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father and everything will be all right. And he uses a specific Greek word there that literally means give us a vision. Give us an appearance. I want to see God. Right? And Jesus knows that won't work. Right? Maybe some of us identify with that. We're like, yeah, hey, that would kind of wrap everything up to me with a nice little bow on top. God just split the heavens, come down, and then I'd be like, oh, there is a God. I do believe, right? Jesus knows it's not that simple. Jesus knows that a lot of people interacted with him. They saw him. They saw the miracles, thousands of them. But fast forward to Acts chapter 1. How many of them are left sitting in the upper room? 120. What happened to all the people who saw God, who saw the great movements, who ate the manna? Who, what happened? Here's, here's what you need. And Jesus says, Philip, if you see me, you've seen the Father. And he actually uses a Greek word here that's 
extremely important. And I don't always pull the Greek out. I do that all in the back room. But the two Greek words for see, okay, is the word blepo, which means to see with your eye, with your retina. And there's another word that Jesus uses here. It's paran, which means to understand. So we use the word see, and we can use it two different ways. Like, I see you sitting there. Or somebody tells you something, you're like, ah, I see. I see, I get it, right? So one means to see physically, the other one means to understand. Jesus uses that second word. Let me show you what it means to know God. Years ago, I was planning a first church, and um, I was a young pastor. I'd been in ministry for a long time, and I went to this church planning conference. This is the first time we probably met Sean. And um, I was sitting there, and I heard the cross of Christ preached by a guy named Tim Chester. And um, I don't know, man. I, I heard a lot of sermons on the cross of Christ my whole life. There was something different about it. When I heard the gospel preached that day, something changed me. I had never seen it like that. I heard the Bible, but I'd never seen it like that. I remember I'm this little Pentecostal kid sitting in this room with a bunch of little white dudes, right? Not with Tom, cousin Tom included. And, and they're all sitting there and they're like super doctrinal guys, and they're like, yes, that is right. That is correct. And I'm like weeping. I'm like, I've never felt anything like this. I've never seen anything like this. The cross had never been so beautiful to me. Something changed in me. I remember going home and talking to Nancy and being like, whew, yeah, that's right. Kashima was there. You guys picked me up, and I couldn't shut up. I was like Chatty Cathy in the back. I couldn't even articulate what I was feeling. Why didn't I get it before? I'd heard the message a thousand times. Grown up in church. But for the first time, I was moving from informational knowledge and since then, I've seen it so many times. You've got a woman who's coming to church, and it's all it's all um, basically intellectual things. So you, here's, here's the deal. I'll just throw this out there. The way you can tell you know God is it affects you in three ways. It affects you intellectually, emotionally, and physically. Your head, heart, and hands. It changes everything. Okay, and, and you've got a woman who's got this very intellectual faith. She likes to talk philosophy all the time and all this theology and all this doctrine. But nothing in her life is changing. And her emotional stuff's out of whack. But you've got this guy, and every time the band plays that song, he's weeping and jumping and shouting. He's got this very emotional faith. But he goes back out and he lives the same exact life, and he's never really changed. Right? We've got this other person. They're all about their hands. They're all about doing all this stuff for God. And they're very robotic and religious. And they, they have everything together. But there's no, um, what's the word? There's no serendipity. There's no surprise. There's no amazement. They're not, like, moved deeply. What does it mean to know God? It means that information, like the cross, for example, stops just being information. And it sinks down to a personal impact in your heart. It gets into your heart to the place where it affects you in all three ways, intellectually, emotionally, and physically. It informs your head. It transforms your heart, and it reforms your life and your hands. When it happened to me, for the first time, I saw the cross. And I saw the beauty of it. And I saw, as the song was saying earlier, I'm going to guess the lyrics here, but the song was saying earlier, I saw basically where the wrath and the justice of God met his grace and his mercy. And it stood out to me. And I realized that the beauty of what Jesus did, that God wasn't like just this person who wanted to bash all the sinners, but God came himself. And God, and I'd heard those words, but I never really, it didn't hit my heart that he took my place. And I saw the beauty of it intellectually, and all of a sudden my heart started to change, and my guilt feeling was gone. I realized I was planting a church, but the reasons why I was even planting it, a lot of it was for my glory. I wanted my dad to give me that pat on the back because he's a pastor, so out of voice. I wanted to prove myself to God, prove myself to everybody else. All of a sudden, I didn't care anymore. I just wanted more God. I realized that I hadn't been loving my wife how I wanted to. I wasn't doing the dishes as much as I should have. Just a lot of words. I realized I had recovered that donkey laugh. <laughs> Didn't do that. Just led you to lie. My life began to change. I remember Nancy asking me a few weeks later, like, what happened to you at that conference? My life was different. Why? Because all that informational knowledge I'd known my whole life became personal. 
He was a man who was a pastor. He was a man like Philip who had been around Jesus his whole life and did not really know him. One day, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, God let the light shine into their hearts, the light of knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? That's my question. Is he real to you? As I close, just Christian friends, those of you who, who proclaim faith, Maybe you say, hey, I know enough about that. I know enough that I long for it. Then whatever's getting in your way, get rid of it. Whatever is in your way, if it's busyness, if it's lack of training, if it's resentment towards God, if it's a bad relationship, if it's disobedience, sell everything and get that aside. Nothing else matters. You can gain the whole world and lose this. Nothing matters to God. Walk with God. Just get the chance to know him. And also, there may be some of you who realize you don't know him at all. I've already told you the time. Just go to him personally and say, are you the one or do we look for another? And he'll say, here I am. Do you know him or do you just know about him? And close your eyes with me. Let me read one last quote from J.I. Packer and then close with prayer here. He says this. Taste and see that the Lord is good, says the psalmist. To taste is, as we say, to, to try a mouthful of something with a view to appreciating its flavor. Or this may look good and be well recommended by the cook, but we do not know its real quality until we taste it. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare now for communion, we ask that you'd help us consider whether we know about you. I pray that you would save us from getting God's patience. I pray that you would free us from the misperception. Free us from the guilt that would keep us praying. Free us from the doubt that would keep us from from all the mental and emotional blocks that would keep us from relating. So Christian, today I pray that you show them the things that you're doing in their life. And show them the things that they're doing to make their walk with you just a routine instead of a personal relationship. So there's people here who may realize they've never seen you, never really known you personally. And I, I pray that you would come to you today. That even as they sit here right now and listen to the music and maybe sing along as they feel so authority, that you would reveal yourself to them. Holy Spirit, shine the light of the knowledge of the And I pray that all of us, as we come down to communion, we will remember that this way that you presented to us isn't something that we get with our own eyes, but that you sent your Son in the likeness of man to take on our sin on the cross. And his body was broken and his blood was poured out so that we could have a way back into relationship with you. So that our hearts could start beating again, that what was lost so long ago at the dawn of time in the garden could be recovered because not because we figured out a way to do it, but because you came and you opened up a path through your son for us to come back home. I pray we just receive that today, whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time, and that as we take communion, you would speak to our hearts and you would have your way in our lives. And you would Help our minds to see you like never before. In the name of